You can find the comic book characters on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash kneelbeforepod or follow us on Twitter at cbcharacters. You can also email us at cbcharacters at gmail.com. And now you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Search comic book characters. Hey everyone out there in the CBC universe, it is your friendly neighborhood podcaster, Alfred, and as always, I've got my co-host, the Colossal... Wait, no, it's... Damn it, I've messed it up again! It's Chris, the creator! <laughs> Gossetus, how are you doing, sir, other than me, uh, you know, screwing up your moniker? How are you doing? <laughs> What's up, man? I'm doing alright, homie. How about you? I'm alright. You know, it's just, you have such a colossal laugh that it just... I always want to lead with a colossal, but um, maybe somebody, maybe somebody so colossal can have two kind of epithets. Two monikers, yeah, two epithets. Oh, epithets. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure, for sure. Uh, speaking of colossal things, Doctor Strange opened up to a colossally huge opening weekend. Even the Eye of Agamotto could not have foreseen just how big of an opening. I, I hear that they're at north of three hundred million globally already. Wow. In the opening weekend. Uh, that, of course, is going to be the main topic we're going to be covering this week. We're going to be doing a full spoiler review, thoughts on the film, where's the MCU going from here. And uh, we've got a few other little uh, tidbits to cover before we get to that, though. Uh, right off the bat, and I think you and I both got to see this. I, I had seen it on the internet, mm-hmm. but we were fortunate enough to actually see it prior to the Doctor Strange screening screenings that we each went to. And that was the Wonder Woman full trailer, uh the yep. second trailer. Um and it you know, having seen the first trailer on on the computer or on a tablet or whatever laptop, versus seeing this trailer on the you know on the big screen, it it definitely lends itself to being on the big screen. And I think uh, it, I mean, I don't want to jinx them, but maybe, maybe, maybe Warner Brothers uh, DCEU might have their first non-clunker superhero film. What do you What do you think about the Wonder Woman trailer that we got to see? No, definitely. It really feels like they're in the weeds right now. They, they're having a hard time, for whatever reason, banging their head against a brick wall trying to get these movies out. But the, the Wonder Woman trailer looked amazing. Like, the just the kind of the, the cinematography of it alone. The shots were really kind of um, the epic shots that need to be epic were were there. And right, the, 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 the water dive, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all the effects that they were using too looked spot on. I mean, they weren't um, too vibrant or something. They were they're well meshed with the rest of the scenery. So it looks like whoever summoned that has got a got a good eye for it. Yeah, it's it's I you know I I was trying to think of the name of the person that's directing the film and I was kind of blanking on it. I'm gonna look it <laughs> up right now actually, um, but. Yeah, this is this is like the the first uh, Patty Jenkins. Um, okay. So this is the first film where it's not too stylized, it's not too Snyderific, <clears throat> but it's also mm. not too muted or mundane either. It's it's got a good balance to it, and mm. I really feel like, and you know, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but I wonder if Jenkins took like if if she saw uh like the first captain america movie uh captain america first avenger and just maybe try to take some cues from there because it definitely has 
that kind of feel to it. That right. Kind of, yeah. And they're kind of set in the same time period. So, I mean, that makes sense. And, but I'm just yeah. saying like, we've talked about this before where maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea for DC to kind of crib notes off of Marvel. Uh, cause you know, Marvel seems to be hitting home runs pretty much every time. Uh, right. I mean, yeah, Marvel at this point, and they've uh, they've been in this like what? It's been a decade now more than the MCU. Uh, um, let's see, like eight years, eight nine years. Oh, I'm a, well, they, they've decade. developed. Yeah, they developed a house style that is really you know, and so it's kind of reminiscent of the old studio styles, like from uh, the golden age of Hollywood. Right, like the so, when the United Artists first first came together. Uh, yeah, and the, you know, yeah, 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 the old Hollywood thing. So and they they they've got it down pat. They've got kind of you know how it needs to look, you know, what we need to do in this kind of situation, how post needs to kind of go. It seems like they've got it down really well. So DC, I mean, they'll be stupid not to try and lean some information or lean some uh, process at least off of that. Just because, I mean, everybody does in Hollywood, I'm sure. I mean, there's multiple studios that have the same kind of cinematographer working for them. So it's hard not to. It's almost like uh, NFL teams and their their defensive strategies when everybody gets moved around at the end of every season, at the end of every season. Right. Yeah, and we're actually going to talk about this more a little bit when we get when we talk about Doctor Strange and just kind of how, you know, especially with Marvel, um, they're almost like a machine at this point. Mm-hmm. And and it it almost it almost doesn't matter who the director is. I mean, I won't maybe go so far as to say that entirely, but like. Um, <laughs> You know, it's definitely something uh, something we'll touch on when we talk about Doctor Strange. Uh, one other thing I think that I really liked about this Wonder Woman trailer is that Gal Gadot, uh, you know, a lot of people I think kind of questioned whether or not she could pull this off. She's a bit slight of frame. She's not this gigantic hulking woman or anything. Um, you know, in, in, in Wonder Woman... Uh, Diana Prince is like this Amazon, right, in the comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, again, you see the action sequences, and, and of course it's a mix of CG and Gal Gadot and, of course, her stunt, you know, double or whatever. But it looks good. It looks very believable. Um, right. It never took me out of it. I never was like, oh, there's no way she could be doing any of these things. It just yeah. felt natural, uh, as, it's, as natural as that can be. <laughs> it, com- it comes out of attitude, really. I mean... The character just, or the actor really just has to, you know, give the right feel of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I think for for uh, for Buffy, the entire run of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, Buffy's uh, Michelle Geller is a is a wisp of a woman, right? Uh, so, but you believe all the action because of the attitude she kind of gives. Definitely, and that's that's something I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, I feel like Gal Gadot really impresses upon the audience with this. She's like seems very put upon in the film. Like, mm-hmm. like she's there, but she's kind of annoyed to be whatever doing whatever she's doing. Like she's like, ah, I'd rather <laughs> not have to do any of this. But y'all are a bunch of idiots, so now I have to do all this stuff. And, but that's the right attitude, you know. Like that's yeah, that's kind of because she's coming from a totally different place. Uh, well, anyway, I, again, I, I, you know, I say this time and time again. I really hope that that Warner Brothers gets out of this funk that they're in. You know, real quick, uh, as a small aside, we didn't put this on the notes, but. There was a, there's it's it's actually came out from the Ringer, like Bill Simmons's whole like giant podcast media corporation, the Ringer, 
uh, that he does. But so, someone out of their camp came out and it's like a it's a big rumor because it's like it's like a it's like third party, third party. You know, like they heard from someone who heard from someone kind of thing. <laughs> but essentially, the, the gist of it was that they talked to some executive producers or somebody did on on the Batman, the yeah. uh, Ben Affleck film. And they were like uh, they it was the script writers uh, were talking to the producers and they're like, OK, well, there's a lot of problems with the script, you know, da, 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 da. And essentially the producers said, fuck off. Do you know how much money we're going to make globally? We don't give a shit about whether mm. the plot makes sense or whether the script's good because it doesn't matter. And so nobody's pinned that down yet as to whether that's 100 percent true. But I, I would suspect that the ringer wouldn't have ran with this if they didn't believe it, at least in mo- in the most part. Mm-hmm. But that is disconcerting as a fan. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not wrong, that, yeah, they, they are looking at the global market. And, you know, if films like Terminator Genesis and Warcraft can can <laughs> triple or quadruple their budget overseas, then great. Right. But, like... I mean, the thing is, to me, that's really short-sighted because if you fuck over the fans, if you don't stay true to the character and you don't write scripts and plot films that that embrace what the characters are, then eventually people are going to stop going. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the hubris of it. I mean, we have Ben Affleck, we have the name Batman, how can we not make money? Well, I mean, goddammit, people are attached to these characters for a reason, and it, we, we empathize with these fictional characters because of the narratives. I mean, if the story isn't right, then you really don't have much. I mean, look at Suicide Squad. That that film had everything kind of going for it. The, the marketing appeal, it had uh, Harley Quinn, and then the narrative was a complete clusterfuck of yeah. who got who knows what. So, yeah, yeah if, if a good narrative can save kind of like a like a third third string franchise. Like, I mean, like Guardians. Right. You give it a good, Guardians you give it a good is a perfect story, example, yeah. You can just pole vaulted right up to the top echelon. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's really upsetting. I mean, I've known for a long time that I was just a money bag in the eyes of the, the film industry. You know, how much money can we get out of this one? But um, to hear it, like, you know, plainly, and again, rumors of a rumor, but um, yeah, it's, you know, we, we don't suspend my disbelief. Right. I want to <laughs> suspend my disbelief when I'm paying for the ticket. Yeah. Well, help, help me, help me and like, enjoy this for two hours, please. Uh, right. But the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, it's not hard to believe that this story is true. Uh, I mean, it, the, the douchebaggery of Hollywood is rampant and overwhelming, I would say. I would think a lot of people would argue. Uh, but it's just disheartening. Let's hope that that's not true. Or maybe if there's enough uh, public backlash about it that they'll, they'll get their heads on straight, man. Because it's just like right. you have one of the best comic book characters, if not the most iconic character of all time. Like it shouldn't be that hard to put something out there that that fans, that mainstream people, which are essentially the same thing at this point, yeah. Uh, but just so that people are going to enjoy, and you can still make money. Like it's it's not one or the other, and I, I don't know. But okay, let's moving on to I guess greener pastures for Batman, because uh, mm. you know we just got the fourth the Lego Batman. It has the word the in the front, so we know it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> they do great things for Batman. It's huge. Uh, oh. The Lego Batman dropped its fourth trailer. It's a pretty long one, too. It's about two minutes. Um, we kind of get to see what's going on there. It, apparently, the story's going to be a lot about Bruce Wayne, Batman being lonely, 
Um, and then the, having the Robin character kind of establishing a family dynamic. You have Barbara Gordon wanting Batman and the police force to join forces. Um, we get to see the Joker. And I'll let you talk about that because I know you especially like that in the trailer. <laughs> but uh, it looks, again, just... And, of course, you can't tell everything from a trailer. But there already, in just this two-minute trailer, seems to be more of a cohesive narrative <laughs> than in Batman versus Superman the entire film. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the trailer, uh, Chris? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, uh, legitimate characterization looks like it's happening in this movie. Uh, the whole exploring the, you know, Bruce Wayne's actually really, really sad, but Batman does a lot of good, but why should he be? That whole, that whole aspect of it is great. Um, yeah, Joker. I mean, <laughs> I was so much more intimidated by the Lego Joker than Leto's Joker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the just, sharp teeth, at least, even just yeah. that. <laughs> just, those eyebrows. Uh, the, the, that, that Lego character nailed it. Uh, he's doing it right. He got it. But, um, yeah, no, it, it, I'm definitely looking forward to this one more than maybe Affleck. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't know. I, th- I, I kind of just know. have the feeling that uh, all of DC's franchises should just go Lego at this point. I mean, maybe that's not a that's not a bad idea. Now, I, here's the funny thing. So the, the moment in the trailer that I know you got to be kick out of, and I did too, is that the Joker is confronting Batman. Oh, right. And and he's like, oh, I'm your, you know, like, you know, I'm the villain. Like, he's the villain. And Batman's like, he's like, I'm your greatest villain. And he's like, no, Superman is. And then Joker's like, Superman's not a villain. And he's like, well, then... I don't have an arch nemesis villain. Like I, I see many <laughs> villains, and then like they cut back to Joker, and he looks so he's sad. Yeah. He's so upset at this idea. I like to fight around. I like to fight around. Yeah. What I would like to see, and I don't know if they, I doubt they're gonna do this, but oh, I would love it if they, even if it's a deleted scene or like a post credits thing, is have the Lego Joker complain about how there was more lego joker in the movie uh oh. <laughs> but that they got that he got cut out you know that like that there was a better lego joker movie in that movie i would love to see that if they could be that self-referential and meta about everything i would give warner brothers a ton of credit but i doubt they would do it um well so what do you think about um uh, my man, uh, my man, man, loosely, loosely termed, uh, mm. Michael Sarah as Robin. Do you do you feel like that's a good? Oh, person? he was Robin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, he he's, he feels like a, he seems like a very Robin person. Like he could never be the main character. He could never be like a true, you know, leading character. But the sidekick, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, Scott Scott Pilgrim to to Robin. All right, that, that works. Um, I, I mean, definitely he has a already. Establish a relationship with Will Arnett. Will Arnett. So, That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's his they, uncle, Uncle Joe. Yeah. <laughs> play well together. Terrible mistake. Um, okay. Well, okay. So you know, we always, I think, on combo characters, we get criticized sometimes for being too hard on Warner Brothers. I don't think that's the case. I, I still think that this is just reality, and we're reacting to the reality of what the situation is. And once Warner Brothers starts putting together a bunch of great stuff. We will praise them, you know, until the cows come home. But that just hasn't happened yet. But we do there, have... There are, no, there are no cows on the horizon as of yet. no cows. There's, there's a completely vegetarian situation right now. <laughs> Got cornfield to the, you know, to the eyes, to the horizon. But uh, we do have some bad news 
for a Marvel property, and I guess actually it's like Marvel Fox, but like you know, bit, things go wrong in other in other franchises too. It's not just Warner Brothers. Um, so last last podcast we talked about um, Deadpool two losing its director Tim Miller, the original director from the first Deadpool film. Now uh, we got straight from the uh, from the horse's mouth. There's a lot of animal talk today with comic characters. <laughs> we're we're gonna eventually start bringing a name. We're not even gonna start talking. So, yeah, like like some clucks and some, you know, I don't know. Whoa. Yeah, that's my hawk. That's a hawk right there. That um, definitely was. <laughs> anyway, Junkie XL, the uh, music producer, uh, he did the score, music supervisor for Deadpool, has now dropped out of Deadpool two as well, citing his friendship with Tim Miller. Tim Miller brought him on originally in the to the original film he said tim miller left i'm gonna leave too good luck everybody you know deuces um so you and i were talking off air about this and i feel like you know as long as it has a strong script ryan reynolds is behind it creatively i think he had a lot to do with what was great about the first one i think they can get in a good director and they should be fine and again this is not the end of the world like you can find other composers and and music supervisors to do the score for the film at the same time my thought is like if you keep changing the ingredients and the formula of something that worked so well in deadpool 1 it doesn't mean that deadpool 2 is going to be a bad film but i feel like the likelihood that you could you could screw something up does increase and so Mm -hmm. we lose the director we lose the the score the the music supervisor uh, how do you feel? Do you feel like the Deadpool two is kind of trending downward on a slope, or do you think it's unaffected overall? Well, you kind of have to keep in mind that every, every movie that comes together is like its own little mini business. Like uh, the Doctor Strange movie was Doctor Strange might as well be incorporated. It's their own little business. Everybody who plays a part in that is signed on just for that movie and all that. So I mean, there's a lot of changeover from sequel to sequel. Uh, but that being said, like you're right, uh, it's like a football team. Like the coach has to stay, the quarterback usually stays, um, the defensive coordinator. The main parts of it have to kind of remain intact. So we've already lost the coach, the director. So I don't. I, we still have the quarterback. We still have Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. I mean, that's he's he's like franchise at this point. He's the guy who wanted this the most. So he's your Peyton Manning. Yeah. I mean, sort right. Of in the, you know, kind of rearrange around him, already. and you should be all right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean. But you know, so in in that analogy, would you say Junkie XL is like the special teams? Like, <laughs> like is most people don't think is that important, but like can win you a game or lose you a game if oh, you do it wrong? Maybe, yeah, he might be the kicker. He might, uh, we might be waiting on him. L- for laces like the... out, man. Laces yeah. out. <laughs> laces out, check. Junkie XL. That's the new nickname for Junkie. Laces I'm out. Just, I'm just surprised that the guy, a guy with the name of Junkie XL, can't be trusted on, can't be counted on. <laughs> Who, who would have thought that a guy with the name of Junkie XL, not, the re- not a regular junkie, a junkie is so massive that he needs an extra size up that he would flake out. Who knew? Shots fired. Shots <laughs> fired at Junkie XL. I don't know what his Twitter name is, but. Come see me, junkie. What's up? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Do you want to go razzing up a junkie XL? Like, I mean, do you want that at your doorstep? I don't know. I'm just saying, be careful out there. <laughs> Chris, the creator. Um, all right, let's move on to the to the TV side of things. 
we're still watching Agents of Shield, everybody. It's that's still a thing. It's still happening. It's still good because it's the best season, probably. Uh, Ghost Rider is pretty awesome. We're not going to spend a lot of time like recapping the episode or anything. Uh, just to say that if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Try to, you know, even if you just started watching from the first episode of this season, it's going to be confusing as all hell. But the main narrative of the story arc that they're doing right now, you you you'll get it. You know that some of the some of the stuff that's been been building over the last three seasons will get lost on you. But I think the overall main story arc would be great. But but here's a nice little tidbit, and this is a spoiler. Uh, sort of, but the episode's called The Good Samaritan, and we get a cameo by another Marvel character that you maybe didn't think you were going to see, especially since we've already seen Robbie Ray as Ghost Rider in this show. You would think that would be enough. Like, they wouldn't be greedy, like, we need more Ghost or <laughs> and or Rider people. Uh, but you would be wrong. Because in this episode, we get to see, at least in Ghost Rider form, uh, Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. It, it sure looks like him. We, you know, they don't really ever name him. Uh, he looks awesome. And I'm really hoping that it's, that it's, uh, that it's Nicolas Cage under there. It could, it could very well have been Nicolas Cage in his boots. Because uh, that's all we really get to see. Oh, and the CGI skull, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, just some boots clinking around. But yeah, no, I mean, I, di- I dug this origin story. Um, I really don't like his brother. Yeah, his little, little brother? Oh. Yeah, he, he's the same actor that uh, kind of killed Fear of the Walking Dead for me, the spinoff of Walking Dead. Um, oh, is he in that? that yeah, he's in there. He's in there. He plays almost the same type of role, except he's, he's, he's ambulatory in that one. He walks around. Um, he, he, I don't know. I think it's just him. I don't like the actor. I don't like... Uh, uh, man, you're getting some hot takes right now. But um, he fucking destroyed that series. Like, it was all right until his acting kind of dragged down. He's just an insufferable little bitch. They need to. And in here, yeah, he almost is act, uh, he's acting the exact same way. It, oh, my God. I'm, I'm right there with you. I liked this episode except for literally every scene that he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was watching the episode, and once that kid came on screen, I started checking out my fantasy stats yeah. on my basketball team because I was like, "This, I, he's, he's like viewership repellent, man. Like, I don't know if it's his acting or his face or what, <laughs> or just the way they wrote the character. Right. He like turns on his brother on a dime all the time. Like, dude, like, quit saying you're about family if you keep turning on your fucking family, man. Um, exactly. God he's, damn it. He's he's pretty terrible. Um. And the fact that he's like supposed to be the the motivating cog that makes Robbie do everything that Robbie does is kind of annoying because it's like no man I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gone through all this trouble. <laughs> but you are right about uh, the sequence, the whole sequence where we see like the flashback and kind of how Robbie became Ghost Rider. That whole thing looked nice. The special yeah. effects they did in that scene were really great. Uh, again, just just everyone. Seriously, I know that Shield has a rap for not being that engaging, and despite what I just said, <coughs> pardon me, despite what Whoa. I just said about that kid, watch, watch the show. <laughs> uh, it's a good time. It is a good time to be had yeah, on that show. Shield, Shield is always a slow burn, and it's because it's a serialized kind of story. I mean, you have to. It's a Marvel movie that's like about six hours long when you come down to it, uh, or more, more, right? I mean, 
each episode is about what 48 minutes and about 20 episodes a season yeah. so yeah it's a really really long Marvel movie just, <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow burn but this season I feel like this season's really well balanced there's good writing there's good kind of intrigue and a lot of great action which yeah. has, has been a bit of a critique or criticism of the show previously is that they didn't always right. have enough action in it or when they did it was kind of cheesy we didn't we didn't see any uh any action fits this episode no i know you were uh you were digging on that dude i mean they've given me enough already for the whole season like if they just <laughs> <coughs> pardon me if they just stick fits like in a lawn chair and just have them chill out for the rest of the season that's fine <laughs> it's, just, it's just him and simmons on their back porch at the <gasps> new place yeah man they're just like they're like playing cards against humanity or something like <laughs> I mean, I, I'm my fits. My fits is full. My I'm full of fits, and that's that's wow. fine. I mean, I'll take more. I'll take more because he's. I think they're doing great with him. <laughs> but uh, if they want to put him on the back burner for now, that's fine. Okay. Uh, what else we got? We got okay. A little bit of DC news. Um, nothing too big, but just that. Uh, Aquaman is officially in pre-production as as of this month. So you know, speaking of of the Warner Brothers. Uh, I guess uh, what's that? What's that called? Like a wagon? Oh, here we go back with the wagons. You know, wa- like a uh-huh. <laughs> what do you call it? You know, when you have like a caravan. <sighs> oh, all right. Wow. There it was. The like this this Warner Brothers caravan of superhero films. We've got we've got Wonder Woman coming out now. We've got Aquaman in production. Uh, not a lot. You know, to say other than to kind of keep that in mind that, you know, regardless of how the Warner Brothers films seem to do, Suicide Squad, I'm talking to you, uh, they're they're moving full steam ahead. They are, yeah. they definitely do seem committed to at least making the films. It just doesn't seem like they're necessarily committed to making them good, uh, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but um, let me ask you this, Chris, between, yeah. um, we already talked about Wonder Woman, but so let's take, let's take Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. Uh-huh. <clears throat> of those three properties, which film are you looking forward to the most? Aquaman. Yeah. I mean, definitely Aquaman. I mean, you got Cal Drogo as Aquaman. You got Jason Momoa. Yeah. Uh, you got a character who's been shit on, I mean, almost canonically by his superhero friends. I mean, uh, you think of like different situ- Like, I know Robot Chicken has done a whole Yeah, like, I was just, I was I immediately went to Robot Chicken. I was like, if you want some good <laughs> examples, please go to Robot Chicken. There's a tiny great one. It's just YouTube it. Uh, I think Aquaman was really done well in the Justice League cartoon. I think it was maybe it was Justice League Unlimited, but uh, they have a real chance to kind of restart this character, like uh, and make him as badass as they want. So I think Aquaman should be the most because uh, Flash you already kind of established him with the whole CW series and Cyborg just kind of being thrown out there into the mix. So I think Aquaman has most potential. I think he definitely has the highest ceiling um, of the characters in terms because I think people are just not expecting a lot right. from him, and so he has he has sort of like the biggest gap to jump and like where he can really break out. I, again, and this is just a small aside, and I, I, I'm not saying Urza Miller can't can't do Barry Allen justice, but I was watching Flash the TV show the other day and. Uh, Grant Gustin, man, he's so good as the Flash. It really is a shame that they decided not to just. And I kind of get why, because once you incorporate the TV show Flash as the movie Flash, then like, how do you keep doing the TV show? 
mm. you're not going to be able to like afford the shit that the movies do. Um, <laughs> it's good. It would be problematic, but it's just that he he's been that character for a few years now, and he's so good. I mean, he's so so good as as Barry Allen in the Flash. But um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think Aquaman. Um, there's just a lot of potential there, and hopefully, again, hopefully they knock it out of the park. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, last little tidbit before we jump into the Doctor Strange stuff, and this actually kind of connects to Doctor Strange, so it's kind of neat that this just came out. But uh, Michael Giacchino, Giacchino, Giacchino. Yeah, yeah. So Michael... you got do it with your hands. It's it's Italian, so Giacchino. Michael Giacchino. There you go. Pepperoni and Luigi. <laughs> Luigi Mario. That's Mama Luigi to you, Mario. Uh, oh man, some Captain Lou Albano uh, callbacks there. Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man: Homecoming has announced, uh, or, or it's actually Michael uh, Giacchino announced that he's going to be doing the score, composing the score for Spider-Man: Homecoming. If you don't know who that is, well, la di da. He's the composer for the score for Doctor Strange. So, if you see Doctor Strange, if you've already seen it, you probably have already seen it, listeners out there in the CBCU. But if you haven't seen it, pay attention to the score and listen to it really closely. That's what the Homecoming score might sound like. Probably not, because they're totally different characters. But, (laughs) you know, that's where he's from. So it's very, very timely and relevant to what we're talking to uh, talking about this week. Uh, let, so, I mean, Chris, I, I guess I can ask your opinion on that. Do you have any particular opinion or thoughts on Mr. Giacchino's uh, announcement? Well, I, I think it kind of just goes to show you that Marvel, they, I mean, they have their whole house style now. So they're just kind of keep on using assets over and over again. Um, Giacchino, he kind of, uh, he did all right. I mean, I didn't really, it wasn't a standout score. I don't think in Dr. Strange. Um, wasn't anything that I think is going to win an Oscar, but uh, it wasn't bad either. I mean, it it swelled when it needed to. It was tense when it needed to be tense. So I thought, it, it, good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and we'll talk about that. I mean, that's something I think we've talked about before. Is that like the Marvel doesn't seem to have like really memorable scores for anything. Uh, and but let's you know we'll talk about them more actually as we get into Doctor Strange. So let's let's talk about Doctor Strange. Yeah, uh, movie. I think I think you were just really really happy to talk about Spider-Man: Homecoming. I was. I always get. am. Always am. Always always am. Uh, Doctor Strange. Uh, okay. Well, let's just talk about it in terms of the score because I think one of the reasons why the score doesn't stand out as much is it's a very visual film. There's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, it's. I I implore. I think more than any film. Any superhero film or comic book character film, Mm -hmm. I implore the audience of comic book characters to listen, or I'm sorry, to go watch Doctor Strange on the big screen in a movie theater near you. Do not watch it on your phone. Don't watch it on your tablet or laptop or computer. Watch it. Go to the theater. I know theaters suck. I know people, like, talk and there's babies crying and stuff it's just a mess i get it but you are really missing out on something if you don't see this film on the big screen it 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 is such a visually dynamic film mm-hmm. um despite the fact i mean beyond the fact that it, the the script is good the plotting is good the acting is good the music is good everything is good good to great really 
but the, the there are certain sequences in this film that are just so dynamic and you would really be doing yourself a disservice if you if you didn't see it on the big screen that that's my that's my first and biggest talking point for the film um Chris, do you want to do this? Is going to be kind of funny because I didn't ask you to prepare for this in any way. Do you want to give a kind of general overview as to what Doctor Strange is about? Sure. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So we got this dude, this uh, neurosurgeon, uh, Stephen Strange. There we go. (laughs) I almost messed up his name. Uh, Stephen Strange, he is great. He's perfect at what he does, he has a spotless record. Um, kind of a dick, but you know, what kind of guy who's really successful isn't, uh, kind of a really nice working relationship with, uh, Amy, or, no, Rachel McAdams, not Amy Adams. Um, uh, that's Lois Lane, man. That's a totally different yeah, thing. Totally different. Totally different. So Rachel McAdams, uh, they, they pair, pair really well together. It's kind of flirty. Uh, they, you get a hint of the past, but nothing too, nothing too serious too quickly. Um, has to go to a function. He kind of mentions that she kind of blows him off. You know, she's not one for the fancy suit parties. Um, so he's uh, giving a talk, and he's on his way to his talk, and he's workaholic. He cannot leave his work behind. He's on the, he's on the phone constantly with his, uh, I guess, assistant, um, kind of getting x-rays and more. You know, like, who's he going to operate on next? And uh, it's raining, and he's driving really fast. And I'm sure he's driving the Audi because that's the Marvel car. Um, but he, he crashes. He wrecks, of course. He goes up the side of a cliff. I'm pretty sure that's the same origin story that's in the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially. He, he kind of, uh, he, he wrecks, uh, it, take, it takes a while to find him. And when they do, uh, they, they're able to save him and everything, but he has irreparable nerve damage in his hands, kind of killing his chances at furthering his career as being a neurosurgeon uh, or any kind of doctor, really. So uh, he kind of tracks down, he, at first he kind of is still tunnel vision, tunnel vision, and like, how does he repair himself? How does he kind of get through life now he has to find some new kind of nerve treatments um he kind of goes through all his money really quickly trying to do anything medically he can to help himself but then he kind of seeks out like patients uh weird kind of patients cases like if they ever like uh healed themselves or gotten healed after like seemingly irreparable damage like i think this one benjamin brett comes in at this point which was a kind of cool because i didn't expect benjamin brett in this movie um a, a patient who had like a really really severe spinal cord injury and was never gonna never supposed to walk again, uh, but he was playing basketball. He was hooping it up at the Rucker or wherever the hell, and um, <laughs> and so he, he finds him. He kind of he, this is where the plot kind of takes his first stepping off point. He tells him that you have to go to this one place in the, uh, the Tamir Tamiraj. Uh, Kamataj. Kamataj. I refer to Kamataj. You have to you have to go seek that out and you'll find some answers. So. We, we, then we begin now our kind of Batman Begins esque kind right. of right. That's a good point. That's so I, as you were just saying it, I was just thinking like, oh, you know what? This was kind of like Batman Begins. I didn't really think about it at the time, but sorry, continue. <laughs> no, no, no worries. Uh, then he kind of like uh, goes to Nepal, and uh, he finds the Kermitage that this whole place, and, and he's still kind of really, really skeptical, skeptical about the whole kind of deal about getting Eastern kind of medicine. It's like, all right, so what's the real angle? What's the real thing here? What, you know, how much money is it going to cost me? And there's a price, but it's not monetary. It's a little bit deeper. Um, he meets the ancient one. She kind of sends money. She gives him his first hit, basically, of the mystical world around. Yeah, him. first one's free. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he comes shooting right back <laughs> like Junkie XL, asking for another hit. And <laughs> and boys, he in deep at this point. He, he he's going to have to. 
he's going to spend years. It seems like he's going to spend years researching the mystical arts. Kind of turns out to be about four months. Uh, but he's really smart. Uh, photographic memory that really helps him. Uh, he advances really well and eventually finds out that there's kind of a darker underlayer like there is with most organizations, even the ones that appear really, really um, well-meaning. Uh, and this darker kind of underlayer kind of threatens the whole world. So at this point, um, we find the, the main protagonist that got, the main antagonist that got, kind of, that got foreshadowed at the whole beginning. Uh, we, we actually don't open with Dr. Stephen Strange. We actually open with, um, I forget his name now. Cecilius. Cassilius, Cassilius stealing pages, uh, some, you know, sacred pages out of a tome and the ancient one trying to stop him. And uh, it, it, we catch up with, with that strand. And yeah, it's really well done after that point. It's it's a kind of classic Marvel kind of format. You know, everything's in danger. You have to, you're thrown, uh, a regular person is thrown into an incredible situation. And he has to figure out, you know, is he a hero? Is, does he have what it, does he have what it needs, what, what he needs to step up to the plate? To kind of match the, the the narrative around him, which is what I love about Marvel. Um, they can take a seemingly regular person and then just make them completely. Uh, they can turn him into a hero in, in in two hours. So at this, yeah, Cassilius is back and he's hell bent on destroying the kind of mystical barriers that the Earth has protected it, and he succeeded already in you know kind of attacking one and destroying the other, and there's one more remaining and. Our main kind of action sets up in Hong Kong, um, where Cassilius is. Cassilius and his zealots have already kind of dealt with all the other main, major players. Uh, New York's been kind of turned topsy turvy, but nobody notices. Um, and in Hong Kong, we get this whole sequence where uh, Strange and Mordo they arrive too late, and after that, the, it's a desperate situation which calls, which calls for a desperate answer. Strange kind of like takes the eye of Agamotto. And kind of does something, of course, that he's not supposed to do with it, which is kind of create an infinite loop. He kind of finds an, a solution that would turn the turn the table on um, on Dormammu. Dormammu, there we right, go. Right, right. Who's that's like who's like the master, the master of the dark universe, of the dark right? universe. He's kind of the one that's controlling Cassilius or like getting getting them to do all these things. Yeah, and he finds a solution that really turns Dormammu really into his prisoner, and kind of Dormammu's begging for release. And is willing to agree to whatever Doctor Strange says, and uh, he ends up saving the Earth in a really fell swoop of intelligence. And of course, this creates a lot of conflict with Mordo. Mordo, throughout this whole story, has been really worried that he can't believe the Ancient One is actually kind of using power from the Dark World to kind of extend her own life. And so this wall of, I guess, disbelief has been just broken down, and uh, he can't he can't uh, square the circle. He, he can't. He can't live in this world with sorcerers anymore. So Mordo, and seeing Strange do this rule-breaking thing to save the Earth, he can't. He can't live by that either. So uh, he kind of sets him. Up, he, he sets himself up for the antagonist of the next next movie. But um, all's well. Uh, Doctor Stephen Strange saves the day. Yeah, Mister Mister Strange, not Mister Strange. Mister Doctor, Strange. not Master Strange, not Mister Strange. Doctor Strange. He makes a point to Excellent recap there, Chris. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, so one thing that really a couple of, well, okay. So we already talked about how like the visuals are really dynamic and <coughs> um, pardon me. When I say that there are two specific types of visuals in this film that are, that are really stand out. One is anytime they do kind of the world bending inception times a thousand 
kind of sequences and mm-hmm. i mean i don't even want to try to describe them because <laughs> it's just something you need to see yeah but they're they're amazing and they're like things you i don't think i've ever seen in a film uh the way these action sequences play out right and the movie kind of does a really good job of setting up kind of the rules by which you can understand the visual sequence that's going on um almost like a game would uh, like a, in a game you have the like tutorial, a tutorial. Kind of, yeah and so you're not going to be freaked out. This is going to what you see. We're going to kind of prep you for what you're going to see. It's going to be really cool. But you need some kind of understanding of what you're seeing. The movie does a great job of doing that. Oh, there, there's definitely a way to be freaked out, though, uh, <laughs> which is just be under the influence of any substance um, at all. And you might go screaming to the aisles, like to, to the exit. Cause, Again, this so, is something that's highly encouraged by this podcast. Please take any substance you have on hand. And all of them. This. Take all of them. Take all of them at once. Your laughers, your screamers, your uppers, your downers. Just take Your sidewayers, everything. Like it's, <laughs> so the other kind of visuals that I, that I think really stand out are the, when you go into, you know, like when the Ancient One first uh, unlocks Doctor Strange's mind, and he goes into, I guess, I don't even know where he is, like, but it's like this psychedelic trip. And the, the way that they they made this world, this, like, pocket universal multiverse kind of thing that you see, it's so spot on reminiscent of the Jack Kirby, Doctor Strange splash pages from the 60s. Uh, I mean, it's like pulled right out of the comic. And if you're a fan of any of that stuff, you're going to jump for joy when you see those scenes. They're, they are so beautifully done. Um, just just a really just a treat, a treat for the eyes, a delicious, yummy treat for the eyes. Uh, <laughs> that's what this movie is. I mean, um, and I'm not talking about Rachel McAdams. Oh, she's not bad either. Hey. Uh, but, okay, so... We already talked about the score. Okay, it's good. It does what it needs to. It doesn't necessarily stand out at any point, but it doesn't distract either, which is important. Yeah. If, if there was a doc, if there was a Doctor Strange theme, I didn't. I couldn't pick it out. Yeah. I couldn't hear it. I I don't know anybody's theme. Like, what's Iron Man's theme? I don't know. ACDC? Like. Yeah, back in black. I think that's like, his theme. <laughs> that's, it's just like. Well, no. There's a it plays during the credits. That's the problem. It usually plays plays during the credits. I mean, if you think of the Iron Man three credits, you can, I can kind of hear it now. I'm not going to do do you the disservice of kind of hum it, but uh, it's there a little bit. I mean, the Avengers has a theme, kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I can kind again, of think it too, but like. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about, um, okay, what do you think about Cumbies as as Doctor Strange? Do you really feel like, like he nailed it? Do you feel like this is someone that the MCU can hang their hat on moving forward, maybe? Like if he if he does kind of take the place of uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I really haven't seen too much of him before. I know that's kind of a... <laughs> I'm not really a big fan of Sherlock. I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> but I have seen him as Khan in the rebooted Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no. I mean, they got, the dude's got range. He can do... He can set up to whatever the writers thought him, really. Um, I think having established this character for with this movie, he can definitely take that... step into that Tony kind of role. And, um, you know, we don't, I guess we can go ahead and spoil the, the stinger, right? We, we can yeah. kind of see that he already is kind of doing the Tony thing where another Avenger, Thor, has kind of come to him for help. 
Right, and it, they kind of tease like a Doctor Strange, Thor, Loki team up to to find Odin. So apparently Odin is missing. We get kind of a, a little bit of a tease as to what's moving forward. And we'll, we'll actually talk about that in just a little bit when we talk about mm-hmm. where we think the MCU is going from here. Um, I agree. I think uh, Cumberbatch does a fantastic job. Um, <clears throat> I thought he was a little too quippy. I mean, it's not really him. It's it's the writing. It's the character. Yeah, I thought he was a little too quippy, a little a little too clever and funny at times. Um, but but I'd rather it be that than BVS. <laughs> so that's not like a real complaint. And especially if they are trying to position him as the next kind of Tony Stark role within the MCU, then that's fine. They have to kind of establish that. Yeah. Um, much in the way that I also thought the cape, the 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 cloak, I'm sorry, of levitation, uh, kind of to me felt like a little bit of Groot to Jace. Like I felt like they're like, oh man, they know people love Groot, so they <laughs> kind of grooted this this cape, uh, this cloak. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but I thought it was maybe a little bit much. But again, I could see why. And yeah. everyone in the theater that I watched it with loved all of the cloak stuff. And uh, all the cloak did anything. Yeah, it, it was great slapstick humor. I mean, uh, I, I I didn't know this movie was gonna be this funny. Yeah. I thought it was genuinely like really funny. Uh, There's some great moments where the cloak's like kind of dragging him away from the axes to fight Caecilius, uh, uh-huh. and instead get that bondage device, whatever it was. And um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I liked it. Um, I didn't think it was. I can see how it get annoying if they can't continue that trend throughout the rest. I mean, the wiping of the tears, we kind of didn't need that too much. <laughs> My uh, mom loved that part. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, she, she laughs, uh, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's kind of like a... It's why I imagine how Jarvis would kind of react with Tony. Yeah, that's that's true. I didn't think about it that way, but it is sort of a silent Jarvis. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Uh, let's see, what else? The um, Oh, uh, Cassilius. So Cassilius is there. He's doing kind of typical Marvel villain stuff. Um, mm. You know, I I didn't think he was forgettable. I thought he was good. I, I you know, the one kind of crit- criticism that really you see often with Marvel films is that, especially with these origin films, that the villain is always just a mirror of the hero mm-hmm. in terms of like the power set and stuff. And, right. and yeah, I mean, that is pretty true here. I, I can't say that they didn't go away from that formula because <laughs> Cassilius is basically uh, an evil Doctor Strange. Like he's uh-huh. he does the same stuff. He has like the same kind of web ability set. Right. Um, but he was good. Uh, I mean, I thought I thought uh, Mad Mickelson was was good as Cassilius. Uh, he had, he had a different a definitely a different set of ideals though. Doctor Strange, uh, Stephen Strange coming into it, he doesn't really care. He just wants to get better. He wants his, his hands to get healed again. Caecilius yeah. uh, wants like actual like change for reasons. He has his own kind of like ideals that he's sticking hard to, and uh, I think that was kind of nice. Yeah, I also liked that. I mean, in a way, <laughs> this is gonna make me sound weird, but like in a way. If he believed that Dormammu could heal the Earth, which is kind of what he was trying to do, he was just so implicit in the idea that Dormammu could do that. Um, You know, 
he wasn't necessarily wrong. It's just that that wasn't what Dormammu really was going to do. Right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> his whole thing was like, I want to, I want to bring like everlasting life to the earth, essentially. Like not just for him, but for everybody. Like he wanted yeah. all of earth to be in, in under Dormammu, Dormammu's, man, that guy's name is not easy to say. Dormammu's reign. The, yeah. From Marvel versus Capcom. Character select screen. From Marvel, yeah. Marvel, Marvel. Dormammu. Dormammu. I'm going to spam that little vortex thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think uh, he lost his family. That was his kind of origin story, right? Like, right. He's really mad because all his family is dead and all that. So to me, uh, the whole Dormammu uh, angle was like, well, he wants he wants to be one with them again. And the only way he's ever going to do that is, you know, have the entire Earth become one with Dormammu. Yeah. So I was like, it's a selfish reason to do something so that works that's all right yeah i mean it's selfish but also i think he felt like i think that Cassilius thought you know that yes this is what i want for selfish reasons but ultimately it benefits everybody so shut up yeah like that yeah. was that was kind of his his whole deal right um uh baron mordo was good um uh, mm -hmm. I, I i'm not even going to try to take a stab at that guy's name but he was in uh Serenity. She would tell EG of four. E EG of four. Yeah. Uh, she would tell EG of four. EG of four. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, he was in Serenity. He was in uh, the Martian. He was, yeah, he was uh, in the Martian. And so was Wong. Oh yeah. Yeah. That he is, played the, right. the JPL engineer. Yeah. Yeah. Wong playing Wong. Worst typecasting of all time. Either that or he's born for the role. Yeah. Or that. Um, all the supporting characters are great. Rachel McAdams. Oh, here we go. I really loved Rachel McAdams. I think her character's name is Christine in the yeah. in the movie. I oh. loved her character because for me, her character represented a regular person. Yeah. And and I think they made a, a really concerted effort to show like how crazy all this shit was that's happening. And if you were a regular person in this situation, you would be freaking out constantly <laughs> and that's exactly what happened she was constantly yeah. freaking out um yeah. she was constantly unnerved and um but they also gave her reason why she would kind of trust strange when she, yeah. when he needed her to i i thought that dynamic was perfectly done yeah but i really really liked that she kind of represented this every person that really would be losing their shit if things like this were happening like you wouldn't be able to explain it it would really freak you out yeah, no, she, she, um, I think that one, uh, that one instance where she kind of goes back to that, I guess, mop, uh, broom closet, kind of where he kind of, uh, vortexed into the hospital right. when he was hurt and needed help. And he was going to go back out and she was kind of stunned in disbelief and kind of just turned around and still can't believe it. And then something falls behind her and she kind of, <laughs> she jumps. Yeah, she squeals and jumps. That, that was really, uh, we, we I mean, Jane Foster kind of took to the whole floor thing too quickly. Yeah. So, <laughs> we need some. We need some sort of like real world perspective. Like, oh, I'll patch you up. This is really fucking crazy, but I'll go with it. Kind of, you know, more more night nurse than anything else. Right. Exactly. And I, I don't know. I just I loved her character. I hope we get to see more of her. Yeah. Um. Doesn't need to be anything grand or big. You know. I don't need necessarily need her to be like a love interest or anything. She she's gonna be in the Infinity War. She's gonna be right alongside him. She's gonna. <laughs> That's fine. She's gonna be like. Don't worry. Uh, Iron Man, I know your arm just got blown off, but I can fix it. <laughs> Probably can't fix it. Um, by the way, 
I don't know if you saw it, but they did a really quick little little teaser promo for Doctor Strange. It just released this week, where oh. it, it's it's Doctor Strange, not like the Sorcerer Supreme, but like the literal Doctor. And they they show different injuries that the Avengers have sustained throughout the movies. Huh? And he like gives a diagnosis. Wow! And All like right. so, one of them is when Bucky gets his arm blown off, <laughs> and he just like shakes his head. He's like, um. I, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> and then uh, and then it shows like um, it shows the scene where where Steve is talking to to Tony and Tony goes or Steve goes well he's my friend and then Tony goes well so was I and then he goes back to Doctor Strange he goes oh that's a broken heart he's like there's a there's not a lot you can do for that <laughs> like it's a real funny little bit it's like a little thirty second spot. Uh, I'll throw it on in the thread, of course, uh, but Ooh, I recommend I, that everyone see it. It's a really nice little uh, little bit there. I wish uh, I'd see that one more. I, I always see the stupid, you know, Doctor Strange uses the Gillette 7 or whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah. The thing where he's shaving his beard away they, just to <laughs> let the goatee remain. I was wondering why there were so many scenes in the movie yep. of him shaving. There's, <laughs> there's, I haven't seen this many scenes of a man shaving since like an 80s Sylvester Stallone film. Uh, but that explains it. Gillette has this exclusive deal with Marvel Studios, and <laughs> they really got every penny out of this one. Um, okay, so looking forward to the next sort of stage for the MCU, we of course have um, Spider-Man: Homecoming and Avengers: Infinity War coming up. But where do you, based on, you know, I guess, and also Doctor for Doctor Strange, both kind of locally and, and and globally, because uh, um, we because both of the teeth both both of the bumpers kind of talk to each point, right? Yeah. One kind of in the larger scope, and one kind of setting up a Doctor Strange sequel. Which, by the way, I'm calling it right now. Doctor Strange sequel is going to be called Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme. I am to lock it in. All right, that is going to be the title for the next Doctor Strange film. I'm I'm a hundred percent sure of it. Um, Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme. Where do you think? Do you think? I think you kind of talked about it earlier, but do you think Baron Mordo is going to be the the main antagonist for the sequel? Yeah, I think so. Either that, or he'll kind of like play. Um, you know, he'll be, he'll be a threat that kind of is uh, laid under the main plot of uh, of the second one. But I think he can stand alone and take it take the antagonist role too. I mean. Again, we're building up this antagonist who actually has, you know, their own motivations, which are going to, you know, conflict with a protagonist, but they have to. Um, yeah, I think he's actually a really strong character, a character that only perceives the world in absolutes. It's, it's always going to be good, you know, yeah. to play off of. Um, so I, I really like that. I hope they use him for an antagonist, the main antagonist. At least. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think, I think that is the way they're going as well. What do you... Do, how do you think Doctor Strange is going to interact and incorporate within the Thor Ragnarok film? Because it seems like maybe he's going to... I don't know how big of a part he's going to play in the film, but it's uh-huh. it kind of looks like he's going to be in it, at least in some aspect. Yeah. Um, but it, do you, I mean, I, I, personally, I think it's going to fit just fine because Thor's got a lot of kind of magical, mystical elements to it, in a way. Right. Uh, that whole world... So I feel like Doctor Strange and him can kind of play in the same sandbox. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. 
Right. But uh, do you, what do you think? Do you foresee any issues there? No, I think this is the right kind of uh, tone to take because, I mean, Doctor Strange can really control all the metaphysical, the mystical stuff at ease, you know, with ease. And um, I think the Avengers had a huge problem with just one tiny uh, Asgardian artifact being on Earth with the Tesseract and almost, you know, completely blew everything up. So, and they have that. They had two movies kind of trying to deal with that. So I think the Infinity Stones need somebody like Doctor Strange to kind of like uh, lessen their threat at least. Yeah. Or, you know, to kind of level the playing field. And um, the, the whole, the, all the Asgardian stuff that really meshes with uh, the Strange really well. I mean, they can almost talk as equals. It's, it's, it always feels like Thor is completely still outclassing any adventure you put, up, put alongside him just because of the whole immortality thing or seemingly immortal. Um, but yeah, I think this, I think this should fit in well. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, we also get a little touch of kind of more of the cosmic universe at large in mm-hmm. Doctor Strange with, um, it's real quick, but they name drop the living tribunal. Uh, they're uh, like, this particular artifact is like the, the staff of the living tribunal or something like that. Huh. And that's a big character in the Marvel universe and the Marvel comic universe. Um, he's essentially one of the most powerful entities in the whole universe. He's essentially, he's like the guardian of the multiverse. Oh shit. Uh, he's a, he's a big cosmic being. Like he like, can, he like takes on Galactus at some point, All right. you know? And, like, I totally, and, like, yeah. So totally did, I missed that. So for a, a viewer like me who kind of just follows MCU and hasn't, caught up on all the backlog of comics. Where's a good starting point, do you think, for Doctor Strange? Uh, if I'm going to yeah, research... No, 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 like... that's, that's a good... Uh, I mean, like, there's a Marvel... There's a thing called the Marvel uh, Masterworks. They're these hardcover books, and they, mm-hmm. they have, like, the first 10 to 12 appearances of any particular character. Um, the, the, the reproduction of the art and colors is beautiful on these... And you can find them used on Amazon or eBay or whatever for relatively cheap. I would definitely go there. Look for the Doctor Strange Marvel Masterworks book. But if you're looking for something a little more current that's written a little more to today's sensibilities, uh, I think I mentioned this before, but Doctor Strange The Oath. Okay. That's a six, I think it's a four or six part miniseries. I think um, Brian K. Vaughn wrote it, if I'm not mistaken. It's great. It's just a great read. Um, it's a fantastic story. I think there are actually a few scenes, like the the sequence when um, Christine is trying to to like to keep him alive, and he goes into astral form and fights that other guy. Uh-huh. That's taken straight from the oath. If, oh, if nice! I, if I remember correctly, so obviously the oath influenced this movie in in, in some regard. It's a great read. Uh, those are the two places I would definitely start at. That's a great question. Cool. Um, let's see. I think, do you think for infinity war, we, we have confirmed that Dr. Strange is going to be there and Wong apparently. Um, what, what role do you think he's going to have? Do you think he's going to be like a commander at some point? Do you think he's going to lead the Avengers maybe? Um, Hmm. or, or do you think he's going to be kind of sidetracked to a separate mission within the film? Where like they yeah. have to get this, you know, Mac- like this device from MacGuffin or whatever. And... Right. Yeah, I think he, he um, with his skill set even now, I mean, he's so powerful that you kind of have to kind of sideline him for a little bit and have him go down a wild goose chase or whatever. But 
I, I think um, here's my hot take on it. Here's what I want to see happen with the Infinity War. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you already kind of we, we don't know if Spider Man's gonna be included in it. Just like yes or no. We don't really know. Uh, what if Doctor Strange knows what's happening? He brings all the Spider Men to be in the Infinity War. Ah, oh, like a multi, multiple like the Spider Verse yeah. thing. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah. You can get Toby back. You oh. can get, <laughs> get Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Back. Bring Emma Stone as maybe Spider Gwen. Childish Gambino. Yeah, oh, man. You can Miles. see Miles. I mean, again, fan theory, fan fan gasming, basically. But that'd be oh, that'd man. be what I say. It happens. Like Doctor Strange just rolls in six deep with Spider Man. That's that's man. But here's the thing: you actually touched on something that they really definitely could do. Is that Doctor Strange and and what he kind of can do within this setting is he opens the doors to the multiverses yep right they they mentioned that directly in the film at least once if not twice yep. so bravo i mean essentially he can serve the way kind of the flash does on the dc side mm-hmm. where now you can do anything you can do marvel zombies you can do the right. age of ultron storyline like the actual age of ultron from the comic book where ultron wins and like kills everybody um you could do so many. You do. You could do. I mean, I know they don't have the mutants, but they could do House of M eventually. Like all mm-hmm. of that stuff. Uh, Age of Apocalypse, but again, like an actual Age of Apocalypse, not like the movie. Um, so yeah, and I think that's a great. That's a great. And man, hey, I'm all for more Spidey <laughs> people being thrown in. And damn it, if I don't get an Emma Stone as Spider Gwen at some point, I don't know how they would do it, but that would be just. Just printing money, printing yeah. money. Emma Stone is Spider Gwen. Um, all right. Do you have any uh, last closing thoughts on Doctor Strange? Uh, excited to see where it goes from here. Like I said, I've not been a been too aware of his uh, established comic history, so I'm actually kind of gonna go check some out. Yeah. Again, the oath. That's a great place to start. I think the kids. I think little kids are gonna love the cloak, man. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're gonna be cloaking around all over the place. The theater where I was in when the when the mid credits kind of scene, the stinger came through, mm-hmm. uh, like about four or five kids kind of stood up and they were doing the whole thing where they're holding one hand and with the hands. Yeah. yeah, so they're already on board. That's good, man. Well, you know, in a way, this is like Marvel's Harry Potter. I didn't even think about that, but like, it's true. Yeah. So, it's I'm not surprised that it's a hit. I mean, it's it's almost like shooting fish in a in a barrel or whatever at this point for Marvel, but um, you know, uh, I, again, I too want to see where it goes. I really, I feel like they're in good hands if Cumberbatch is going to take a more prominent role in the MCU roster. That's fine. Yeah, uh, I think he can do it. All right, this is actually isn't on our notes list either, but I I I would be. Uh, remiss if I forgot to mention it. You and I both got to attend the Alamo City Comic Con this oh, last right. week. That's why we didn't have a podcast. Uh, we just had a lot of stuff to cover, and we were busy with uh, the Alamo City Comic Con. Um, I just wanted to tell a quick story. I got to yeah. interview um, a comic artist and creator by the name of Kenneth Rockefort. Now, uh, it's so funny because when I met him at the con, I had just read he had done this series called Reign of Doomsday, uh, which is a pretty cool story, actually. And I, I do recommend it for people out there. I had just read it the like a few days before I met him. Um, and I didn't realize he was the was the artist on it and creator of a lot of that story. Uh, but the story is essentially Doomsday is back. 
uh, because of Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor manages to bring Doomsday back. Doomsday goes and finds all of the four imposter Superman. You know, like when Superman died, mm-hmm. the cyborg Superman came, the alien Superman, the the kid Superman, and Steel all came up and were like, we're Superman. It was that whole thing, right? So this Doomsday goes and like systematically finds each of them and Supergirl and just beats the shit out of all of them. <laughs> like the first trade paper, it's a two volume trade paperback. The first trade paperback is literally him just beating the crap out of everybody. Like nice. just taking them all out. He puts them on this planet. Anyway, second volume is Superman gets wind of all this, like finds this like planet or moon base or whatever it is. And it turns out it's it's kind of a it's it's hard to explain, but it turns out that one of the doomsday there's multiple doomsdays. Um, again, this is like Luther's doing. One of them gets thrown into like a time loop, kind of like Doctor Strange. He gets thrown into a time loop for like millions of years, and he evolves and becomes like super intelligent, and he becomes something called the Doom Slayer. And he actually, his whole thing is like he realizes how destructive Doomsday is and he wants to kill all Doomsdays, all remnants of Doomsday. And he he figures out that like Earth is the center of it all, like that, that kind of got everything going. So he wants hmm. to destroy the Earth. So this guy, Ken Rockefort, created Doomslayer. It's a really cool hmm. character. It's a really great read. It reads pretty quick. There's a lot of great action sequences, as you can imagine, um, with everyone fighting Doomsday and whatnot. Okay, so that's just real quick background on Ken Rockford. The other thing that Ken is known for, probably more than anything else, and I I mean, this is kind of like the words out of his mouth. This is the story I want to tell really quickly. Is he's, he was the guy behind the redesign of Lobo. So oh. we all know Lobo as like this brass, like just bully bush character, like heavy metal he says, what does he say? Um, fracking, which is, he oh. means fucking, but it says, because you can't say that in comics, it's <laughs> fracking. And he says, bastitch, instead of, like, like oh, yeah. bitch or bastard. It's like a combination yeah. of the two, actually. Um, and, you know, he, he's Lobo, right? Well, a few years ago, the heads at DC got this brilliant idea to change Lobo. And by change Lobo, I mean really change Lobo. And I'll throw some pictures up on the thread uh, because you really need to see this to kind of get an idea. But Ken Rockefort was the artist they tasked and and specifically signed into a contract just to design the new Lobo. And so Ken told me this story. (laughs) Uh Oh, here's the story. So Ken tells me that they tell him we're going to redesign Lobo. His immediate first response is why? Lobo is great. Everyone loves Lobo. He's a very iconic-looking character. No I don't one, want a job. No I don't one, want money. No one will mistake him. Well, he already had signed it at this point. So, okay. But no one will mistake Lobo for anyone else, right? Like, you, everyone knows what Lobo looks like. He's, he's iconic to that point. Because why? And they go, well, we have a new writing team, a new creative team. We want to go in a different direction. The story is going to be that this guy, the guy you're designing – is the real Lobo and has always been the real Lobo. And, and he's the other Lobo that we know as Lobo is actually just a guy that like stole his identity essentially. And so Ken goes, 
yeah, this is a terrible idea. Fans don't <laughs> like it when you take 20, 30 years of a character's continuity and say, nope, none of that was real. Like, that didn't happen. He goes, fans don't like that. He goes, and I know because I'm a fan. I love Lobo. He's like, please don't do this. <laughs> but they but they went ahead anyway. They're like, no, uh-huh. we're doing this. You either can do this or we can tear up the contract and you not do it. And he's just like, crap, well, fine. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to at least try to... So so right off the bat, he gives them a redesign of Lobo. They said they want him to be more spacey. Huh. So instead of his, like, biker chain, he uh, Ken puts him in, like, a neon, like, energy chain. Like an energy lasso, essentially, right. with, like, a blade on the end of it. He still looks like Lobo. He's, like, big, you know, but he's a little streamlined, a little cleaner kind of thing. They go, no. They go, what we want is more like a lone samurai. And he's like, what? <laughs> what you know, you... All, the, all those samurais in space that you always see all the time. And uh, they're like, yeah, samurai. That's what we want. And he's like, okay. And so he comes back. And I got. To, he showed me on his phone. He showed me. I wish I could have like taken pictures of these things because he showed me all of the designs. Yeah. And the, so he comes back with this samurai design, and it's, yeah, man, it's like Lobo, shirtless, with like a dragon tattoo on his chest. Oh, and like And like those shoes, like those wooden <laughs> shoes with the socks and that yeah. kind of skirt thing. Do you know what I mean? Almost like yeah, a, yeah. like a, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a Bushido or whatever? Like a, yeah. you know what I mean? And he's got like a sword. Kind of like a tunic from like the medieval. Yes, medieval exactly, exactly. And he's got his hair in a top knot. <laughs> Just the whole nine yards. Yeah, man. And they go, so he's he sends them. He shows them right. He makes all he's of like, these different like mock ups, and he gives it to the, the to the execs at DC. And they go, no, no, that's that's too much. That's too Asian. <laughs> it's too much. It's too Asian. We want him more. And I, I, this is a direct quote. And, and I know Ken was like, this is exactly what they said. They go, we want him more, you know, like a James Bond in space. Jesus. Like. Moonraker? With the physique of like a supermodel. <laughs> and they gave him. <laughs> So like, wait, yeah. When you see the pictures of how this Lobo looks, you'll understand. <laughs> um, he, at this point, he said he like he was like I almost quit at this point. He's like I just, this is too much. <laughs> um, they gave him pictures of like supermodels of like Calvin Klein models uh-huh. to use as reference, and <laughs> so he goes back. And he draws this this thing up again, and now Lobo is like this really svelte, thin, but toned, like looks like a like an Abercrombie and Fitch model. Like that yeah. is the best way I can put it. And he sends it to them, and they're like, "Perfect." And he's like, "This is going to ruin the character. You're going to lose all of your fan base. People are going to be very upset." So they go, okay, like he, he was fighting them on this for, for uh-huh. weeks, if not months. 
And finally they go, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to take your mock-up and we're going to release it on the internet. And he goes, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> um, we're going to release it on the internet and we'll let the fan reaction come back. And of course, the fans hated it. They hated it. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, DC uh, publishing execs went ahead with it. They went through a whole series of Lobo. And that's the Lobo that's like out there right now. That series, wow. I think, has been canceled. But it, it was, you know, 12 issues or so, if not more. Uh, but here's the thing. I was talking to Ken and he goes, they're bringing the old Lobo back. They go, he goes, they, they've gotten into so much. They've gotten so much backlash about this. They're going to bring the old Lobo back. He's like, they haven't really made me privy to the details as to what's going to happen <laughs> exactly. But they're bringing the, the character back. And I just wanted to share that story because I thought it was a fantastic. Uh, it's a it's a hilarious story to me. But like, it just shows you behind the scenes of like how even people that work in comics, these execs at DC can be so out of touch. And I give him credit for wanting to do something different. But what, I, what Ken and I were talking about, what I offered, and he was like, this is exactly how I feel. I go, why not just make that another character? Like the yeah. space James Bond that you want to do, fine. But just make that another character. Like, don't make that Lobo. That's not who Lobo is. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, exactly. He goes, it's, it's just crazy. He goes, but like, he's like, he's like, and this isn't just DC. He's like, stupid shit like this happens at all the publishers he's like you, mm. the, the people get these ideas in their heads these people with too much power and he goes and they just they just think everything they touch is gold but that's that is not the case <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, as, as you can see uh now i again I, I i know i don't think you've seen the picture i'm gonna put it on the thread you're gonna laugh your ass off <laughs> uh once you see the lobo um I just wanted to share that story. Did you have anything in particular that you that you got to experience either through one of the panels or talking to any of the artists or anything at, at Comic Con? Mm. And I almost said anything notable. Man, other than the complete lack of organization on Saturday, uh, apparently I went on the only day that everybody else in San Antonio went to the con. Jesus. Um, yeah, it, I, I, don't, I like to live dangerously. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I went to the Doctor Who panel. Uh, big Doctor Who fan, and. Um, my brother and I went, and the line started like about an hour and a half before the panels opened, which is not, you know, not untypical. But what was untypical about it was that uh, no volunteers were there to kind of manage the line uh. until about like 45 minutes till the, till the start of the panel. And um, yeah, so you can imagine how much a whole bunch of angry nerds had, uh, how much fun a whole, break, a whole bunch of angry nerds are when that sort of stuff happens. Um, but no, it was all right. Uh, David Tennant wasn't there at the David Who panel. Uh, we had, we have Billy Piper, which is fine. I mean, she's, she's Rose. She's one of the most iconic, uh, apprentice or like a companion. companion. There we go. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, uh, after we let out, I kind of, we were walking through and Billy Piper was just right there next to me. Uh, so I guess that was kind of cool. <laughs> made up for the mess of, uh, mess of the line. But, um, yeah, she was right walking right alongside the crowd. And we kind of took the right turn, I guess, and, uh, almost ran into her. No, I mean, um, that's when you got to, like, quote-unquote, accidentally run into her, right? I think. Yeah. We get the whole fan experience. Give her a yeah. hug or a high-five or something. Um, well, that's no, cool. It's too yeah. bad that David Tennant... I, I, I never actually saw David Tennant once <laughs> the three days I was there. I never saw. I never got to see where he was. I saw where he was supposed to be, but he was yeah. never... 
We should we should check the TARDIS. He, he probably just went in there by you know force of habit. Probably. Just hiding probably. there. The He's just in there. He's it's bigger on the inside. He probably had like a good <laughs> a good dinner or lunch at least, uh, waiting for him. Uh, but it's a good thing, and, and you know, uh, as and uh, with these big cons, there's always going to be things that don't go as planned, unfortunately. And I know that's right. you know that's never a good thing. It's kind of part of the deal. But what I what I would implore the CBS universe out there, if you have a local con coming up in your town or you know city or whatever, try to go to one. Uh, even oh, yeah. if, even if it's more like you're just more into the movies or the TV shows, you're not so much into the comic books. Uh, it's just fun. It's a neat experience. It's definitely not like anything else you're going to experience right. in any other uh, day. Uh, the cosplayers are always really fun. Uh, they get they get super creative, and they're really <laughs> talented, a lot of them. I was, uh, at the end of the con, I was in line behind uh, a family of, like, uh, I guess six. There was four kids and two adults, and uh, the mother and father were dressed as uh, Gandalf and Galadriel, and the four little kids were little hobbits. Ah, oh, that's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I actually took a bunch of pictures of the cosplayers. I might throw some of those up on the uh, CBC page as well. But um, yeah, I just—it's a good time, and it's—it's it's definitely a unique experience. Uh, so if you get a chance to go to a con, even if it's a smaller one, it doesn't have to be like a big, like the Pittsburgh con or the Chicago con or New York or you know San Diego, San Diego, San Diego. But like you know, even some of the smaller ones, you just never know what what you're gonna see, what you're who you're gonna meet. Right. Uh, or, you know, um, but I guess that's pretty much it. Any other uh, final thoughts, Chris, for this week before we bid adieu? No, it's been a fun week. Yep. And I'm sure next week will be, well, probably not as fun because Doctor Strange isn't debuting next week. But I'm sure there will be plenty of great news to talk about regardless. Until next time, the Fortress of Potitude is closed. Stay super, everyone. Take care. Mm-hmm.